I think many found me a provocative and also troublesome because um, I, I wouldn't bow my head. I think Nigel, Le Pen, Orban, uh, Meloni, they've all been through the same. They've all, so every, every leader of every exactly. political party that's Eurosceptic. I remember one of them actually uh, told me to jump out the window because of my views on migration. D Denmark is a, an open country that should uh, respectfully um, invite people, but also expect that these people being invited respect Denmark. Funnily enough, uh, the left has been the less tolerant when it comes to uh, meeting people with other views in this matter. If you are found with, uh, with ch child pornography in the streets of Denmark, you can have maximum one year in prison. Now, if you are dishonest with the Quran or any other religious, you can be put two years in prison. I mean, yeah, I think it speaks for itself. For half a year, I was uh, out of politics. I had to uh, step down from my works and everything. I was How you had the desired effect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was totally out. The question is, how big will the scars be? Uh, until countries really face the realities that the dominant culture of a country must be the Judeo-Christian one that has been the leading one for since the Roman Empire collapsed. Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced, with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson or Stephen Gaxley Lane? With the English Defence League, the EDL. The problem is with Islamic raid. The English far-right Islamophobic activists. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching for what Morten Messenschmidt is a Danish politician and since 2022, leader of the Danish People's Party. At the 2014 European Parliament election, he was elected a member of the European Parliament for Denmark with close to half a million votes, the highest number of personal votes ever cast at a Danish election. With a strong focus on welfare for Danish citizens, immigration, national culture and opposition to the European Union, Morten Messerschmitt has faced a lot of pushback from the media and accusations of fraud and falsifying documents. He continues to fight hard for what he believes is best for the Danish people and Denmark's future. I am in Denmark's parliament. I am here for my latest episode of Silence, my podcast, and I am with Morten Messerschmitt. Morten? Very good to meet you. Thank you for me. Again. Yeah, thank you again. You last hosted me for the premiere of my podcast, right. uh, for, for my documentary, Silenced. And I'm here to find out more about yourself. Mm -hmm. I saw in 2008, I believe you received the most votes any politician had ever received, and then you doubled that in 2014. Well, something like that, yes. So essentially, you are the most popular politician. Well, it's almost 10 years ago, you know, popularity has to swing. So uh, it's not always the same. No, it's ups and downs. So I wanted to find out more about who you are, basically. Sure. So so I can give the viewers um, where you grew up in Copenhagen. 
just north of actually in a smaller village called Frederikssund. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, I think, a very average family uh, of uh, of uh, working uh, parents, um, and uh, with five siblings. And um, then, yeah, I choose to go in the polit- political direction. I got an academic degree as, as the first in the family for I think five generations or so. And uh, now I live in Copenhagen with my uh, with my girlfriend and family. So, what was your mom and dad's jobs? Well, my mom worked at the at the local municipality uh, in administration, local administration. And my uh, my father, he was a um well um, plumber uh, okay plumber yeah, yeah, same yeah. as my dad yeah yeah and you left school and then you went to university did you have a good time at school yeah i did i did good. um when i think in gymnasium uh in high school uh around midway through uh, the political interests came and uh, that of course sparked a lot of discussions with my with my uh, with my um, with fellow comrades and so on and uh, that were not all of them agreeing with my views uh, but uh, it never really led to any sort of conflict or something so it was a good time in university i didn't have much time to be there you know physically i was more studying from home doing all my political stuff on the side okay so what was it that got you interested in politics firstly it was the eu uh, I'm born in 1980, uh, so around 92, uh, we had the referendum on the Maastricht Treaty, uh, and uh, I felt that it was uh, a, a bad thing for Denmark. And we had, luckily, we had this referendum where I think 52% of the Danes voted no, and re- that really sparked my political interest. And then, uh, shortly after, Danish People's Party was founded, yep. um, and uh, of course, focused on many issues, among one uh, EU criticism, uh, criticism of uh, migration from the Muslim world and uh, other uh, issues. But, but but those were the, in the beginning what I, I focused on. And what year was the Danish People's Party founded? 95. 95, and you joined as the youth movement, am I right? Uh, yep, yep. Well, I actually joined both uh, the year after, I think, uh, both in the Mother Party and the and the Youth Party. And what was it? There was what was it? The party was saying that was about the European Union or about migration. Well, this uh, this idea that the union would sort of um, harmonize all standards and social policies and border control, migration, all issues that I felt was was you know Danish territory and and where loving Europe and the European countries, I certainly felt that Denmark had chosen another way, and we didn't want to be swallowed into this uh, huge union. So it was on these issues, animal welfare, I remember, was a crucial thing back then, um, where the standards uh, certainly in in Spain and other countries were quite different from what we were used to in Denmark. That would be harmonized by the by the Maastricht Treaty. So as a uh, young uh, young guy here, 12, 13 years old, that was the issues that I, I felt most... What was the Maastricht Treaty? Can you explain that? Yeah, the Maastricht Treaty was when the... the now we call it the EU, but there was a time when we called it the EC and it was a common market where, where independent states went together in order to do commerce together. And then in 92, after the the Berlin Wall fell and all these um, things happened, uh, there was a very strong dri- driver to create a real union where where we should have the union citizenship, we couldn't have the the national border control and things like that. Um, and that was all formalized in the in the Maastricht Treaty, also founding the euro as a currency of this union and building up to a, having a president and stuff like that. Okay, and um, from from your early involvement in these sort of politics, did was it? Was it easy? 
Or did you come under attack? Did you, well, was it something you could openly talk about? The funny thing is my, my mom was actually agreeing with me but she, because she was a member of the Socialist People's Party. That was also Eurocritical at the time. They are not now, they're totally Federalist now. But that back then uh, they, they were against the Maastricht Treaty. Uh, so even though I was more center-right, um, we could agree on this matter. And um, the, the other pupils and my friends and stuff, they, they just felt it was fun to have a, a guy that, that would interest in, in politics. Um, but the funny thing was uh, the, the strongest reaction were among my teachers, especially in gymnasium high school, uh, where I remember the first year when I wasn't really, you know, declared politically interested, I wasn't a member of party. Um, I had the best relationship with many of my, uh, my, my teachers. But when I sort of came out of the closet and said that I would be a member of Danish People's Party, some of them wouldn't even talk to me. Your school teachers? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. How old was you at this time? I was like seven, 16, 17. 16, 17. Yeah, I remember one of them actually uh, told me to jump out the window because of my views on migration. Wow. Yeah. And what, what were your views on migration? Well, that that Denmark is a an open country that should uh, respectfully um, invite people, but also expect that these people being invited respect Denmark. Uh, and we could, at this point already, it's like, what was that, 25 years ago now, we could openly see that the migration from, in particular, the Muslim world was leading to many uh, conflicts and problems in integration, labor market, crime, stuff like that, things that have just, you know, been building on and being even worse today. Um, at that time, we could see it, and I was quite outspoken about this, that we needed to limit the migration, if not even stop it from, from this part of the world. And your teacher thought you should jump out the window for that. Yeah, it's just you know, one example that <laughs> yeah, I remember that he yeah. he wouldn't listen to these xenophobic views. And uh, uh, so this is going back twenty five years, and you say so the education system twenty five years ago was already under the influence. I of wouldn't say that the education system as such, but certainly many of the teachers they were left leaning. I think they still are today. And uh, funnily enough, uh, the left has been the less tolerant when it comes to uh, meeting people with other views in this matter. And having debates or discussions about it. Yeah, no, they, they wouldn't even debate it. They were just, you know, they were just turning their backs. So this was at university, and then you you left university. I went to university, yeah, and uh, while I was studying the law, I uh, became member of parliament in uh, two thousand five, uh, which was the reason why my studies prolonged. How old uh, was you then? I was twenty four. So you become a member of parliament at 24 years yeah, old? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend that. Wouldn't you? Uh, no, because firstly, I think for a politician, it's 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 good to have you know your life under control uh, find out who you are get your education get a job get you know life experience exactly um when i listen to some of the speeches i gave when i was 24 it's not all of them i would i would redo today yeah. um so so i think just you know as a piece of advice for many that that want into politics in a young age um uh, take it easy you'll manage but but get some experience in life first and then of course it took me way too long to get my uh, my education done i didn't end until in 2009 um so it's you know sharing time between work in parliament and then studying and it, and what about i've read on i've read online about you face some problems from courts during this time. oh yeah 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 it's true it's uh, it began already when i before i got in uh, into politics when uh, we have we had in the youth movement back in 
2001, yep. were made a poster uh, saying that uh, there would be some severe consequences if we didn't stop the migration from the Muslim world. And uh, for that, we were convicted back then. You were convicted then. for yeah. making the poster. Oh, yeah, we were. Two, I think, two, two weeks of uh, suspended jail in the, in the youth movement back then. And uh, the poster simply said that... It's there were there was a picture from the from the um, some place in the Middle East with some Hamas uh, students stood, standing with the Quran and some blood on it and you know from from reality it wasn't a picture that we invented and then there was a picture of some Danish uh, young young girls at this time we had huge problems with mass rapes in Denmark of of young Danish uh, girls and that was a big thing in the media so it was logical for a youth movement that wanted to you know make a statement this debate to make this contrast and then we predicted that uh, that continued migration would lead to more rapes more violence more uncertainty and things like that so the court convicted you, but would you say sitting here now with everything in hindsight that's happened, have you been proven well, right? Well, no, it's been proven right. I mean, and, and I think if, if, we did, if we made that poster today, um, well, maybe with the new registration that this government is passing, I don't know. But today, I think it would never come to the courts. Because everyone accepts that that's what's happened. Yeah, because people can see that it was, it was regrettably true. Um, so how many years ago was this you wanted this with the poster? This, I think, was 2001, 2002. So, it's, so if, they would it's if, if, if people would have listened very early on, the amount of rapes, the amount of attacks, yeah, yeah. everything that's happened could yeah. have been avoided. They were warned. They were warned. Yeah. A, yeah, going back to this is longer than... I said I started my activism in first in 2005 and then 2009. Mm -hmm. So this has taken it back even way before then. Mm -hmm. you, you were warned mm -hmm. in Denmark and Danes of yeah. what consequences could lay ahead. Exactly. But you weren't listened to. No. And um, in fact, you weren't listened to. You were silenced. Well, some listened. In all fairness, because in two thousand and one, politically there was a change, um, where the Danish People's Party gained, um, I think, around ten percent of the votes. My party, yeah, and um, which of course sent shocks through Europe. Uh, not least because at that time we managed then to be the the, the foundation for a, a new center-right government uh, consisting of three parties. Okay. And we actually managed to introduce some pieces of legislation that today have become more or less standard in Europe, but at that time uh, were severely criticized by the, by the 24 years old rule, for instance, that you, you need to be 24 years old in order to have um, family unification, um, that you need to have, uh, on average, more connection to Denmark than the, the another country. Things like that okay. were introduced in order to limit um, we could see, we could tell at that time that many, many people from the Middle East here living in Denmark, turning 18, 19, suddenly got married with somebody who they'd probably never met um, from from the whatever country in the Middle East, where their family would come from, and then was uh, family reunified to, to Denmark. And we wanted to stop that um, in order... Firstly, of course, to limit migration through this part of the world, but also to protect the young person living here, giving him forced or her marriage. a chance to, to grasp Denmark instead of being forced into a, a marriage that they had no idea what would be. Okay, and then you said the vote, the votes you got, there were 10%, and that was in 2010? Some, around 10%, yeah, yeah. And the next election from that, because I saw they, you got... Then we began to, to, uh, yeah, to, um, to grow gradually. And um, in 2005, I became a member of the parliament group here, and I, I was very happy to be spokesperson on the European affairs. Um, and um, that was right around when we, that when the federalists wanted to 
move on from the from the Maastricht Treaty I mentioned earlier on with a real constitution for Europe that was luckily uh, stopped by the French and the Dutch um, that voted no in a, in a referendum. Ironically, it's always the people that that okay. end stop the insanity in Europe. The politicians they just you know they just continue and continue. But luckily, we have some countries like like in Ireland and the UK and other countries, France, Denmark, and so uh, where we have these referendums. And and in many many cases, it's the people that put down their feet and stop the insanity. That also happened here. And following following on, so you had that first prosecution for the poster. Yeah, that was two thousand one, um, and then the my my, my I have two other um, two other encounters with the legal system uh, that were more they were they were both political but they were in a, of another nature. Um, the first one uh, that was in two thousand and seven. I was a member of parliament, and uh, there is uh, you know, you know Tivoli, which is an amusement park here in in, in Copenhagen. Uh, when they open in the in the springtime, it's tradition that, that many people get there and gather and have some lunch and also get some drinks. And um, and I got a lot of drinks that day. Uh, and uh, and uh, a week after or so, uh, a newspaper said that I had been singing Nazi songs. And uh, and it all ended up with apparently some former social democratic um, uh, minister having said that to the media. Uh, and I filed a libel case against the, this this newspaper because it was false, and um, and it, it totally fell apart, and it ended up with the with an, with the chief editor uh, being being punished and so on. But it but it took a while, and you know, being what? accused of these things, uh, it sort of it sort of the rumors is spread. At, at this time, was you was you a rising politician as a young politician? Was you was you a threat? Would you say you were a threat to them? Because I think many found me. A provocative and also troublesome because um, I, I wouldn't bow my head. I mean, I, I, I knew my stuff in, in the EU debate, migration debate, and I didn't accept the the the, the common arguments of uh, Denmark being a, uh, a granting or or benefiting from migration. At that time, people spoke about cultural enrichments and stuff like that, which was evidently... We've seen that now. Yeah, yeah, false when it came to this part of the world. You can argue that, of course, from other parts of the Western civilization, Denmark has historically been, been enriched. Uh, I mean, Messerschmitt is not entirely a, a Danish name. Uh, I think I'm an eighth-generation migrant from Germany, something Please like visit that. Please visit yeah, But um, I feel uh, that, um, Thank you. that I have sort of integrated and, and, and pay my tribute to, to this country, um, which is much more than you can say for maybe many of those coming from the Middle East. So if you look at it now, you've got a politician who's lined up alongside the media. He's made allegations against you. The media have run those allegations yeah. around, around your whole country. I'm guessing they use that to beat you down. Nazi, Absolutely, Nazi. absolutely. Nazi, Nazi. It was on the front page of so many uh, medias this summer, and it took a while. It took a year and a half. And um, there was no truth in it. And then absolutely it's been not. proven as no truth, but the oh, damage yeah. is done. Yeah. But the good thing was, at that night when these uh, when we were having drinks and so on, I met my uh, my... Uh, my future girlfriend, and uh, we're still together. So, uh, you know, in the some, in the country of happened, Hans Christian Andersen, something good has to come even out of bad times. Okay, and, yeah. and, you're, and, you're, and is that now your partner, your wife? Oh, yeah, yeah, we've been together for more than 16 years. 16 years since yeah. that day? Yeah. Okay. And um, what, what does she do? What's her, what, has, has she felt pressured from what you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I'm actually not... interesting because she's an, uh, she's an actress, an artist. Uh, she is... Um, She's a she's a cabaret singer, which might 
gives you some different connotations, Dutch which is folk, the, yes. but in a traditional way. In, in Danish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, where um, we have north of Copenhagen, another amusement park, not being Tivoli, but something equivalent. And um, her family has been there uh, with roller coasters and stuff for 110 years. And among these uh, things they run is a, is a cabaret. And she's on the stage there. And so she has many friends in, in, in you know, the, the cultural environment and so on. And many of them, of course, many of those reacted very, very negatively back then when, uh, when we got together. Um, but she was very was it, was it very negative back then because of what the media was saying about you? No, just in general. Just that, okay. uh, that she could be with me, uh, you know, a centre-right uh, Euro and, and, and Islam critical okay. uh, politician. So uh, their friendships uh, stopped immediately. And, um, and, and she was very cool about it uh, because she said that if, if they couldn't sort of see through me and see her, and it was her judgment, then they weren't real friends. Wow. So yeah, she's her life's been affected. Oh yeah, yeah indeed. No, no, it's um, continued to. It has, and I, I won't be uh, lying saying that this was not one of the reasons why in two thousand nine then I accepted to run for the European Parliament because being in Brussels sort of cooled everything a bit down because you know people don't do recognize you the same way in the street and uh, you have some more privacy and. Um, that was nice uh, after w meeting in this very uh, media-focused way in Tivoli and things like that, and then the court case, which we won. and um, It was nice then to have the idea of a more uh, relaxed everyday life. So you escaped, you escaped as such? Yeah, you could say European... that. But also, it, you know, it also intrigued me and, 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 and inspired me to continue my, my fight against the European Union and the system and what had originally been the reason for me to join politics and and and, and wanted to, to to spend my life on this so it, it wasn't entirely that but it was certainly a um a a positive uh, adjective to it had the, the, it had the adverse effect exactly and so and you've had another court case up oh yeah yeah <laughs> so this is this becomes a common theme with anyone well, i hope not <laughs> no, no, i hope not yeah, yeah. <laughs> reason enough okay so talk to uh, me about the third case please. well yeah but, you know um in in the european parliament you have the political parties as well and many of the euro critical parties have been under huge scrutiny for 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 misspending and um Nigel we, Farage, i believe Farage, yeah. uh, Orban, uh, Le Pen. Anyone who speaks out, they use the system. All of them. Okay. All of them. Yeah. And uh, therefore, in I think 2015-16, Olaf, which is the uh, the criminal investigation of uh, of the European Union, began an investigation of of what was at that time the party to which Danish People's Party belonged, called uh, Melt, uh, the European uh, Party for for Liberty and Democracy. And um, which we shared with uh, Nigel Farage, I think, at some point. But, but that was before this. Anyway, they 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 come up with this accusation that we had a meeting in 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 Denmark, um, which had costed, I think, fourteen euros, fourteen thousand euros, and uh, that EU hadn't played a a sufficiently dominant role in this meeting, and um, and that actually ended up at the court, and th by that a farce began. Because uh, firstly, at the civil uh, at the dist the city court, what do you call it? Civil court. The, the first yeah, first I, level. Yeah, um, I was convicted. Um, half a year of suspended jail. Um, and what would they? What would the? What they would have labelled that offence as fraud? 
Fraud, fraud yeah, okay. yes, because they said that the money fraudulently uh, receiving money. Yeah, it had been a, a, a meeting that was uh, that was entirely domestic politics, not EU, and uh, and uh, therefore I was. Uh, so they said you were using EU funds to deal with Danish people's exactly. party politics. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Then it came up that the judge, uh, he was an outspoken critic of Danish people's party and me, and uh, good people that were fast on the internet found huge uh, you know tracks of of of, uh, of discussions where he had been contributing his views on on me my person my you party. personally oh yes he, he, that, that was what there was a very very um, colorful uh, uh, debate about which mental disease i might be uh, be struggling with uh, because of my views on, on on eu and stuff like that where he'd had been contributing so it's a very politicized judge oh yeah yeah so we took this to the to the district court to the um to the next level so to speak and they made the first uh, uh judge annulled and they it was cancelled so everything had to begin again was it cancelled then because he had a conflict of interest yeah exactly he had his own personal views and he allowed them to override the exactly. decision he, sh he should have stepped down and let somebody you what know was this impartial that was in 2021 2021 yeah yeah so last year then. Did the headlines, I'm guessing again, the same oh, as the previous course, Nazi course. headlines? The plump, no, the not Nazi, no. Oh, no, the previous this, ones. This was similar. just now, I was just a fraud, you know. Yeah. Say, yeah. And um, so it all began again last year in December 2022. And then at this time, uh, they, they, they stood up with five judges just to make sure that there wouldn't be any problem on on, on, on personal interests and stuff like that and um and i was totally acquitted with five uh, judges to zero so uh, and then afterwards the uh, the prosecutor chose not to take it you know any further to appeal exactly it. And, and i was totally uh, cleaned or to say yeah, yeah exonerated but yeah. For, but for four years Seven years from the start. For seven years, yeah. you had cases hanging over you and yeah. the media running the smears. Oh, the media played a huge role in this. Actually, I think if the EU system hadn't been leaking all these details and all these materials to the to the media, uh, it would never have become a court case because the, the prosecutor was under huge pressure. I mean, it, when the media for so many years have been building up that, that there is a case and uh, this uh, politician has been a fraud and spent money wrongly and so on, even the, the, the prosecutor and the public system, um, if they had not been taking this to the court, then they had to explain why all the media were wrong. And I think for them, it was just the easy way out then to try to play it. They were then lucky to get an impartial judge that would just look for the reason to convict me in the first place. And then when we got to the real court case, uh, it showed up that there was nothing. Was that, can I ask, going through those years, seven years of court, mm -hmm. was it pressurizing? Oh, yeah. I even, I, I, I uh, it actually got to, to me physically. Uh, I had to, for half a year, I was uh, out of politics. I had to uh, stepped down from my works and everything. I was How you had the desired effect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was totally out. Um, so it's. Uh, Is that for you and the family? Absolutely, it was. It was very, very unpleasant for all the family. If it hadn't been for my well, family and my girlfriend, and of course, then I, I, I think I could not have been taking up a real job again. But they inspired me. They got me to believe and understand that I did nothing wrong. And they um, gave me the motivation to uh, to fight back and accept that, okay, 
We just need to fight. So a, le a less strong character could have been beaten at that point because essentially what I describe all this as lawfare. We've, you've, mm -hmm. you've gone through three examples now. One where you've been proven right. Another one where a politician fed the media to lie yeah. and, the country, and then your name was destroyed. And then secondly, it seems like media pressure again, nothing to do with justice or, or the law. Absolutely. Media pressure. And all because, what would you say the reason for this was? I'd, well, I'd say they see you as a threat because you're a charismatic leader. That's what I, But what would you say because of your views on against the European Union or, yeah, and, no, and, no and doubt. immigration? It's, it's, well, I, th I think both. But, but on this matter, it's been uh, the EU. I mean, it's, it's so clear that all the political parties, all, all groups in the European Parliament have the political parties. And, and we know that all... Uh, pay money back because some meetings are assessed whether to be too much in the one, one direction or in the other and so on. But it's only when it comes to the Euro critical parties that it gets into the media. And um, and I mean it's it's so it's so openly what they're doing. Uh, it's so evident what they're doing that uh, that it's undeniable in my view. Do you see similarities here with what's happened to you with any of the Eurosceptic politicians that you've dealt with in Europe? I think Nigel Le Pen. Open, uh, Meloni, all been through the same. They've all so every every leader of every exactly. political party that's Eurosceptic. And that's uh, you know even though that you might be uh, acquitted and it ends up with okay there was nothing really in it or um, enough of these cases still brings to an image where the average voter being not entirely down in every detail say all right okay he might be some you know in some way crooked he, he just got off the hook in in some way so that's why i answered your question the first question as i did because i might for 10 years ago have been the one getting most votes but you know with all this okay so 10 years ago you get the most votes yeah. since then you're labeled and smeared by media continuously exactly. People who Google your name, like anyone can Google oh, your name, yeah, yeah, and you'll read all the of first it. Thing it's still all there. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so damage is done. It, it is, it is. And, and you're still uh, fighting that. Yeah, but we are, you know, we are, that, that's, I think, the, the important thing, that we are fighting. Uh, and we will always be doing so. Um, so it's, uh, this is a uh, travel getting back on the track. And we are actually, it's doing well with our party now. You're doing well again now? Oh, yeah. Because would you say the party, when when Angela Merkel opened up the borders, mm -hmm. which was what, 2015? 15, yeah. yeah. When, when she opened up the borders, um, at that time in Denmark, would, how, how many, where were the Danish People's Party? Well, that was a uh, defining moment because Danish People's Party was the biggest centre-right party at the time. We had a centre-right government being supported by my party. I was in Brussels though, um, but the leadership here uh, was very influential. And, um, well, to be frank, um, at this moment in history, failed. I must say, uh, it's not, I mean, I took over the leadership a little less than two years ago, and I've decided that, I won't, you know, I won't look back. I want to okay, criticize too much. Okay. But uh, it was a failure that, uh, that back then we didn't close the border. We have in EU, we have something called the, the Dublin Regulation, which means that if you want to apply for asylum in, in the EU, you must do it in the first s secure country where you are. All these people were in Germany, and uh, they should have not been led into Denmark. But sadly, uh, I think between fourteen and 50,000 Syrians were accepted into Denmark, and many of them still here. Um, and now, of course, fighting to, to stay, even though that for most of them, it will be perfectly safe to return to Syria. Okay, so, uh, but that was before your leadership. You're now the leader it was, of yes. the Danish yeah. people. And that's been one of the 
big things. I think it very often is that when you get a new leadership uh, to redefine what is the project mm. and uh, also to say, okay, what which which failures have been committed in, in the past and, and, and confirm for the voters that we have learned from this. Um, this led to a split of Danish People's Party um, where the previous leadership went to, into a new party, um, a more liberal party, um, along with the liberal minister of, of migration at that time who, who was in in charge when okay. the so, so in that sense you could say that me would you it, say the party was infiltrated uh, it not infiltrated it was if you look at the lengths they're going to the european union eurosceptic parties if you look at the lengths they're going to to silence anyone to do with immigration yeah would they come within we, we, we got into a, a wrong track okay that was the problem and uh and uh, you could say that those who got into the wrong track at the time? Uh, they took the consequence of it and uh, and and left the party, okay. and um, now have more openly said that they are not Eurocritical anymore. They are not, as such, uh, Islam critical anymore. Um, for instance, they favor to have mass migration as long as people have a job and things like that. Whereas I'm much more concerned about the long-term impact of the country if you don't have a, a focus on Danish culture, Danish language, and things like that. So, um, but at least they took the consequence of their changed minds in politics and 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 left the party to join another. What, so now you now the party's under your leadership more. And what is the biggest threat to Denmark? I think um, it's it's a mix still of of uh, migration from the Middle East and the EU enforcing this migration. Uh, and you it's don't have, you don't have control of no no not at all not I mean we do have opt outs uh, on on the justice and home affairs but it's not uh, it's not as 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 uh, safe as it should be for instance we need still to apply gradually in order to have our border control uh, whereas the UK for instance has a more clear uh, possibility you don't really use it uh, but you do have a, 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 an opportunity Since actually, Brexit yeah yeah no yeah well actually, also before but still I think it's it's evident that that the UK government doesn't do anything enough in order to protect your borders. But I mean that's your uh, area. Um, I'm focused on Denmark, and 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 uh, and we 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 don't have the the efficient uh, border control that we should have. Um, we also have many many holes now in in our national migration act because of EU regulation that should never have applied to Denmark because we have our opt out back from the Maastricht Treaty. So so in that sense, migration and EU are interlinked cases and problems for Denmark. Because you can't deal with the migration unless you, because the EU wouldn't allow you, they actually tell you who's exactly. coming in and how many are coming in. Exactly, and, 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 and as long as the EU doesn't even want to help um, Italy, Greece, and some of the Mediterranean southern countries to protect their borders, this is a, a problem also impact in Denmark. You know, when people get into Italy, it's not their 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 dream country to be in. Uh, they want to go where the welfare states are massive, and that's Denmark, Sweden, Holland, and so on. Would you say these are asylum seekers? That's what they claim. But the you disagree with that, would you? Mm. So obviously, some are. Well, well, we know we know from statistics that the vast majority of these should not uh, have asylum. Economic uh, migrants. They are coming for for a more comfortable life. And uh, I don't, um, uh, I don't blame them because looking at the conditions that their own countries uh, provide, but um, two things have to be said: 
Firstly, if you don't like the countries that you're uh, fleeing, then don't bring the culture that created the conditions in the con these cultures. Embrace what is the world history's best societies ever, namely the West. Um, and so many of them don't. I mean, what, what we've seen here in Denmark and in, in many of the Western European countries is that Muslim migration come here and then insist on our societies to change in order to gradually um, become what they actually fled from. That's the first thing. And secondly, um, we cannot help uh, those people really in need by this policies where so many uh, that are coming for economical for reasons uh, apply for, for asylum. They make the, the system that should actually help those really in need, they, they, they are such a huge burden to that, that it disables our possibilities actually to, to help people that, that are in need. So we, we, we have to change these policies and focus on the areas in, in the world where the, where the need is, is the biggest and then help there instead of believing that they should just continually come here. You talk about um, they want our countries to change when, oh, yeah. they, when they come here. Your country is about to change. It is changing. It, it, has it changed for the the better? Would you say is there? I would not. I would not say. But of, uh, but but uh, but uh, if you, I'm born in 1980, um, and uh, and. Uh, it was not a paradise in 1980. I mean, if you you, you could easily uh, get your ass kicked in the streets uh, if if you got in the wrong neighborhood or or whatever. But today, if you get in the wrong uh, neighborhood, you don't get your ass kicked. You might be killed. Right. Uh, yeah. Raped or you know, it's 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 an entirely different level of of violence of uh, brutality uh, that we see uh, in uh, in in Denmark, and that I think is impossible to deny. Has an in Clear direct, clear linkage to to the to the many of the migrants coming here. Uh, gangs of young uh, Arabs uh, making the streets unsafe uh, for for work for, for for well, not even only for for girls and women, but also for you know just young people not thinking uh, brightly and walking maybe home alone in the, in the night, and then being spotted by these uh, packs um, as a as a victim and. Um, they don't. They don't just take your wallet and you know slap your face. Uh, they will jump on your head. They will kick you. They will. Be is there something that's insanely become, cruel things? And is this something that's become common practice for oh, yeah. da many Danes now in it Denmark is, at is. the hands of the migrants that are welcomed in? It is. It is, and it's of course many migrants, and we have to say that for whatever reason that so many have loved Denmark, and that's fine. But it do, it cannot take focus on these very, very brutal gangs that, that, that we see around in not only Denmark, but most of, uh, of Europe. But that's, you know, just comparing one thing from my childhood, how things have changed through these 30, 40 years. Then, of course, you will see that um, suddenly you will have uh, the Muslim uh, uh, scarf, uh, hijab, hijab and whatever. Hijab. Yeah, they are all over the, uh, all over the, uh, the country. Um, that impacts, of course, the behavior of, of many girls. Uh, because it sends a signal that only by wearing that you are uh, you are clean, you are to be protected, you are to be cherished. This is to do with Islamic teachings, because oh, yeah. many yeah, yeah, yeah. You have verses young, in the Quran. Young girls not wearing the headscarf, they will be spat at or in other ways, you know, bullied and things like that. That's happening now in Denmark. That's happening now in Denmark. We have uh, parallel, you know, informal Sharia courts uh, where where young people that. Maybe, 
if they want to get divorced, if they have issues, will go there instead of going to the to the real courts that enforce the Danish law, things like that. Um, so, so this is impacting the uh, the culture. And the victims there will actually be the Muslim girls who could be the Muslim girls. Yes, yes, and again, who are born in Denmark. Exactly, exactly. And and as I said before. I don't think you can find any place in world history where it would be better to be born than in the West around our time of birth, I mean, around now. Mm. Um, the amount of equality, wealth, prosperity, possibilities, free education, things like that, it, it, it's, it's second to none, not only on the world surface today, but in world history. And, and why is it then that people come from countries that are evidently uh, developed in a less attractive way because if not then why would they f why are they here wh wh why would they come why do they then insist on bringing a culture that has created these so uh, dramatically different societies do you allow in denmark saudi arabia's funding to be used for mosques i think we yeah yeah, yeah. iranian I, well actually oh yeah so totalitarian regimes i will tell you a funny or more uh, maybe not funny but just a piece of fact when the Social Democratic government ran for office in 2019, and successfully so, they had a full program where they tried to copy some of the policies of the Danish People's Party. One of them was that they wanted to ban funding from specific countries, naming Saudi Arabia, Iran, and other these more radical Islamist uh, countries. Now, speaking here, none, no countries have been banned, only one person. They have found one person who I believe have 12 or 13 cousins that he could easily, you know, use as a middle person to, to, if he wants to send money in here. So we have huge problems. And for instance, the... Uh, the uh, so they, they, they run on a campaign to promise to do this, yeah. to pull votes away from probably the Danish oh, People's yeah, yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. And then they haven't implemented anything. No, no, no. They haven't even tried. I even presented the bill in Parliament copying the text from their program saying we should enforce this and they voted no to their own, <laughs> they voted no to their own yeah. policy. But the, <laughs> that was just a facade. Exactly. We were but, using but, that. But the, but, the, but the real thing, the real problem for us I think is actually not Saudi Arabian or Iran, they are as well, but the big thing right now is Turkey. Because uh, the, they're threatening you. Because they are, using, as well. they are using uh, the mosques for social control of the Turks in Denmark. Which they've so, done in Germany for decades. I think it's not only a Danish phenomenon. Yeah, they've yeah. done it all over Europe, apparently. But they have this DNET, uh, the, the Turkish Ministry for Religious Affairs, yeah. that then send out the imams and the people that are being, you know, working at the at the, at the mosque, and um, they work very closely with the embassy of Turkey, and then they report if they have. Uh, Turks, and there are many Turks in Denmark. Um, many are also very well integrated. And so, so if people are too well integrated or behave in a way that uh, that Erdogan doesn't like and things, then it's reported from the mosques to the to the embassy and then back to Constantinople. So he's he's running his own sort of policing force within, within Denmark. Absolutely. Not just that. You're about to go into Parliament. There's about to be a yes. We have at the what's the time? An hour or so. Yeah. Um, the government is uh, introducing a new shameful piece of legislation, which is not only reintroducing the the the, the ban on blasphemy, which we almost uh, unanimously uh, abolished six years ago, but is now even widening the scope of uh, of statements against uh, religious artifacts that um, that would be criminalized. Criminalized. What's so, the reason for this? 
We've had some very isolated uh, but very active groups uh, of people on the uh, on the right wing that have been traveling around burning the Quran and making provocative statements. And um, that, for various reasons, had become to the to the Islam fascist government's uh, awareness in in the Middle East. And um, one should think that they had another plate, you know, dealing with all the matters down there. But they are now very concerned about these Koran burnings in Denmark. And uh, sadly, uh, we don't have a government that would just say the obvious. That speech. We don't fancy burning stuff, but we allow it. That's all what they should said. We have free speech. And uh, that also um, uh, contains, you know, speaking and manifesting things that you might not like. And by the way, it's created, as I said before, the world's best society. Try to look at yourself. You don't have free speech. See where see where you are. That's what they should have said. But instead, they have bowed their heads. And which countries is this putting pressure on? I them? think it's mostly, as you mentioned before, Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, Turkey. Iran, Turkey. Certainly, they have they have a union of some the Islamic. The OIC. OIC. Yeah, yeah. This is this this is a block of Islamic countries that come together, and when they want to put whether it be political trade. A trade exactly. pressure, any pressure, they use that to influence exactly. the host country. So exactly. they've been using that to threaten Denmark, threaten Sweden, yeah. but they need to ban these citizens who are yeah. exercising their freedom of speech. And, and the funny thing, or the sad thing, depends on where, from where you see it, Denmark and Sweden are not at all the only countries in the world where where you know these manifestations are, are legal. Uh, take the US, I think even the UK, um, Netherlands, many places you, you you can do this because I think you can argue that one of the most core elements of, of Western civilization is is the ability to, to, to critique religion. Uh, back in the, the Reformation, I mean, there were many many harsh critiques of the of the the, uh, the Catholic Church. Um, that was sort of the foundation for the renaissance and development of, of where we are today. So say that that you should limit uh, these uh, critical approaches to religion, in my view, is very contrary to what has been um, Western civilization. Even though I personally don't fancy to burn things, Qurans or any other things, I think it's a bit primitive. I can easily argue against Islam without burning it. I agree. I think you should read it. I exactly. Think, I think exactly. But people should have the right to even do things that the majority th find stupid. That's the idea of free speech. Of free speech. Yeah, yeah. Would you? Um, okay. So the law that they're going to pass, or they're looking at passing, yeah, will make it illegal. You will carry a two-year prison sentence. Is that something that as a politician you're going to fight against? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for many reasons. Firstly, uh, the uh, originally the government said that they would, you know, very precisely go against only burning the Quran. Now. They are uh, banning uh, any improper dealing with religious uh, artifacts, um, which can be basically anything. And it's not only uh, artifacts from, from recognized uh, religious um, foundations and movements. It, it can be anything. Uh, Would that include, say, for example, in the Quran and within Islam, it talks about the execution of homosexuals. So if someone took a pride flag and wrapped, a, wrapped the Quran in a pride flag, yeah. Could that now carry a two-year sentence under most, this legislation? Most I don't know whether it will carry a two-year sentence, but it could carry, certainly be a felony. Criminal, yeah, it'll yeah, be a felony. Yeah, yeah. So they're taking away... So I think many of the even um, artistic um, contributions to the political debate we've had in the, in the recent years um, would be 
included. For instance, there is a Danish artist called Jens Galschutz. He made a very provocative picture. I didn't like it myself, but I, I respected his right to do it, of uh, Virgin Mary uh, with a child in her uh, stomach being crucified as a manifest against the uh, the Catholic Church and their views on abortion. On abortion. Um, I think that'll be illegal in the future in Denmark. Um, and and then you mentioned the uh, the uh, the level of, of of punishment. Just to put it into uh, you know perspective, if you are found with uh, with ch child pornography in the streets of Denmark, you can have maximum one year imprisonment. Now, if you are dishonest with the Quran or any other religious, you can be put two years in prison. I mean, yeah, I think it speaks for itself. And you had a, recently in Iran. Women, Muslim women, mm -hmm. who have been fighting for their freedom, yeah. have been taking off their hijabs and yeah. burning them because yeah. they're forced to wear them. Yeah. So these are the real feminists who are oh, fighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe you've had a Iranian woman in this country yes. who has a brave also, woman. she's a brave lady who's who's burned her hijab. Firuz Basraf Khan. Yeah, yeah. She's Could amazing. she face yeah. prosecution then? In, well, if this law is passed, would that would that would that Muslim feminist or that whether, whether, uh, feminist Muslims who are fighting against oppression? I think it will certainly be tried uh, yeah. at the courts. Whether she'll be convicted or not, I don't know. But um, she has been, you know, uh, dismantled. Uh, how do you say? Um, um, tearing the Quran apart, not burning it. Yep. That's been one of the, her manifestations. You know, okay. ripping it apart, and uh, that'll certainly be a. Um, Oh, uh, yeah, and that's uh, one of her ways as an artist to speak out against the Iranian totalitarian regime, um, which I think she's been doing in very interesting, also beautiful, sometimes maybe more primitive ways. But that's the that's the idea of being an artist, and you know, having challenge it. Yeah, you're you're making the ability think. To, to try to move in some areas, and uh, and not always should be navigating whether is this legal or not legal shall not spend two years in jail or shall i not i mean that's the idea of freedom that sometimes you do something which is brilliant and sometimes you do something that is not i've done that a few times oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't we all <laughs> what about um so if, if they pass this law and I, am i right that the danish government have accepted the reason that they're, they're going they're bringing in this legislation oh, yeah. Is because they're scared. Yeah, they believe it's now a matter well, of national are, security. Have they they are, are. They are. In that sense, they are totally uh, open. I have. I have compared them with Chamberlain. Um, yeah. You know, there's this famous moment in 1938, before the World War Two really he comes starts. back, and it's all sorted. Yeah, yeah. He says peace in our time and things like that. And Churchill approaches him and says, "Okay, Mr. Chamberlain, you had to choose between dishonest." And the war, and you choose to be dishonest, or and then you will have the war upon you. And he was perfectly right. And the same thing happened here, in a in a smaller scale. But um, our foreign affairs minister, he came out with this piece of legislation and, and, and thought that he could uh, appease the uh, the the Islam fascists in the Middle East. And um, just a few days after, Al Qaeda said that they would now have more focus on Denmark and try to see if they could do terrorism here. So, so you you can't reason, you can't appease these people. The only thing you can do is to find common ground with other freedom-loving countries and defend freedom. How are we still sitting there thinking we can appease them? How is anyone sitting yeah. this many years on exactly believing you can appease the fascists? Yeah, exactly. But he, um, so who decides the law in Denmark? Terrorists are now deciding what your legislation is, essentially. The, 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 the sad thing is that... Because they've accepted. Just, the reason they're doing it is because oh, yeah. they're fit. It's three days ago, 
we celebrated the uh, 80, 80th anniversary of the day when during the Nazi occupation the 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 government stepped down collaborating with the Nazis so imagine that celebrating that did happen 80 years ago and then now having a new government this collaborating taking dictation from uh, from the these regimes and not only that i mean they have even been working uh, there is something called the muslim union in denmark which is sort of a, a common umbrella organization for all the uh, mosques and uh, muslim uh, um, uh, organizations and, and stuff the justice ministry have been having meetings with them organizing how these limitations of free speech should be so they're, they're dictating this is how it's going to be they are they're totally um totally open in their defeat and accepting the violence or the threats of violence to to now uh, be the reason for limiting free speech so this the, would you say this is the end of free speech for dance coming possibly was not the end of free speech in that sense uh, because uh, but but it it's certainly a big attack against it as i said 2017 we almost unanimously in parliament abolished the ban on blasphemy um now if they had just reintroduced that you could say all right but they're going further but they have gone even further and that is what i think uh, troubles me the most because then what's next that's the question yeah. does it, it always is they're focusing on denmark yeah. do you believe if denmark bring in this blasphemy law do you believe then sweden then Norway, then Britain. Do you think there'll be pressure put from these the OIC on all of these countries? They can make one fall, make them all fall. I think it's impossible uh, to to see any other consequence because if they had they have had now the Danish government to bow, um, then they just move on and say, okay, if you don't do the same, if you don't do the same, then the threat will be on you. And then they have they have the same legislation in all the previously freedom loving countries. They will come back to us and say, okay, now what's next step? I mean, the, 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 these organizations have already said that uh, there also needs to be a clear ban on the hijab uh, insult, for instance, which we don't really know will, will, will be a part of this. Uh, Criticism of the hijab. Yeah, or burning it or whatever, okay. like, like the Iranians. Yeah, like uh, the Iranians. Are doing. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's certainly never stopping here. And that, I think, is a learning from Chamberlain and Hitler. And that will just continue to criticism of Muhammad. To sure. there's so so many things that Islam dictates. This is we are pandering to Sharia law. We're pandering to take the freedoms these, of our own people. These people, these uh, regimes, are founded uh, just as uh, profoundly as you and I and the civil and the Western civilization are on freedom. These regimes are founded on banning freedom, on limiting freedom. That's what Islam is about: subjection. Um, that uh, there should be only the wise people knowing the Quran that dictates society, limiting the freedom. So that's what they want. That's what Islam. That's the reason why the Islamic world, you know, socially, economically, politically, has stalled. Um, and that's what they are, they they want. I believe the threat level to Denmark is the highest it's been at the currently. Do you think you are facing the threat from terrorism? Do you think it's a real? Threat? I think we have for some years. You know, since the the cartoon. The Danish Crisis. cartoonist? Yeah. Talk to me about the Danish cartoonist. Well, back in 2005, there was a um, a, a book coming out uh, about the life of Muhammad, a sort of popular, popular one, also making fun with parts of the Quran and so on. And, um, and, the, uh, and, the, and the author wanted to have caricatures in, in the book. Uh, 
but nobody dared. Nobody wanted to contribute. They were afraid of what would the reactions be. So they, so the Danish Daily uh, Ulands person at that time then invited uh, famous uh, caricature draw, caricature drawers uh, to contribute, and twelve of them wanted to, and they printed it. And that, of course, led to a big, big uh, issue in the Middle East, uh, where Denmark was then under threat and stuff like that, because we had been, or not we, but these cartoonists have been depicting uh, Muhammad and apparently thereby, thereby violating some rule in the Sharia. Punishable by death? Yes, yes. Like Salman Rushdie and like anybody else who um, stands out for freedom and speaks against Islam, that they will be uh, in the, uh, they will be under threat for, for fatwas and thereby Anybody. There was even like, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Salman Rushdie in, in New York. Was, they got him, they stabbed him in the neck yeah, yeah. at the end. And a young guy that, um, that he was even, he wasn't even born at the time of this fatwa. Um, and uh, I think that shows how, how strong an impact this has in some parts of the Muslim community. I met someone yesterday whilst I was here, a gentleman called Rasmus, mm -hmm. who is under 24-hour guard by Danish authorities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. due to threats to his life. Mm -hmm, yeah. In fact, he seemed like he was living in a prison after after. Spring. I assume. I assume. There's no freedom left for him, so his democratic rights have been taken. Yeah. Talk to me. And okay, so can I ask you about? There's a huge election coming up in America. I know. Can I ask you? A have have you got your eyes on it? Have you had your eyes on it? Do you think the American situation affects us in here in Europe? What's your views of the current? I'm actually a bit saddened what's happening in the U.S. Um, I think it's very colorful. It's very funny. But it's not really the, the burning torch of freedom anymore. Uh, it's not inspiring in, as it used to be. I, I grew up, I think we grew up in the 80s. Yeah, you do. With, 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 with Reagan and then afterwards with Clinton. And and uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to compare, I think, European and, and U.S. policies. It's, it's two very different systems. But... But now, even though I think Trump is funny and uh, in his in his way addressing some of the issues that I think should be addressed, but uh, but doing it in a way that that might not be the best way, um, uh, and then Biden on the other side, I mean they are polarizing both of them, polarizing the American democracy, which I think is essentially f sad to to be witnessing. Do you think there's been a problem with the last election? Do I have, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I uh, I cannot. Uh, no, not involved. No. Okay. Can I ask you about your what? What would you say in your whole of your life has been your most worst moment? My worst moment. Yeah. I think that was. Uh, well, um, well, it's, it's, I have two. Uh, the one losing my sister. She was killed by her boy, by her boyfriend. Um, and uh, that happened four years ago. Four years ago? Yeah. And How old was your sister, if not my mask? She was um, 31, yeah, and left four children uh, that is now with us in the family. With yourself? Not not with me, with my, with my mom, with our common mom. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that was a very, very dark moment, of course. How old were our children? Sorry? How old were our children? They are um, 3, 4, 12, and 15. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a big span. Um, and of course, yeah, it, it impacted the entire family gravely. Um, I, was, I was a big brother. 
I am the big brother of six. Are you the oldest of six? I am, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was probably the darkest moment. Another, and that's why I, I say two, is that almost 10 years ago, my my girlfriend's youngest daughter, she has two daughters from previous relationship, was in a car crash and uh, had a severe um, brain trauma. And uh, she, she she's living and she's she's doing well but she is not the same person anymore and you know this having a young person in that you love uh, in your life and uh, then just seeing them severely handicapped and changed uh, physically and mentally and still you know having them in your life as a person you love as a child that's also a a, a very rough thing uh, to watch yeah so these two episodes i would say and that must have that must have been a hell of a so to deal with that because I know I understand the pressures of talking about the issues we talk about, but to have that those two experiences gone. Politics, you know, I I could if the day when I get fed up, I can with good conscience say now I'm going to do something different. I've done my share. You've done enough. Yeah, I think I could do that. I'm not I'm not at all there now, but um, and then you know leave it to somebody else. But these things, when some you love, some in your family get taken away from you in brutal ways, in unexpected ways, um, impacting not only their lives, but many people's lives, you can't escape from that. You can't just say, I'll choose another path. Um, so these are the real things that you need to deal with in your heart. And uh, so, um, so can, I, can I ask what happened with your sister? Yeah, my sister, she was born in eight years after me. She was my first little sister. And um, she... What's her, uh, you name? Know, What's her I, name? Uh, Lina. Lina. And um, where I, from the very beginning, was very engaged and had a lot of energy, energy and stuff, she was more introvert. She had a, a more difficult time in school, difficult getting friends, things like that. And um, so when she got out of school, uh, she didn't get you know the the friends nor the boyfriends that would be the best yep. and um and she got two kids with two different guys didn't work out and then she met this guy um and she was really insisting to show that this time was right this time she could make it work be a real family and stuff and they got two two kids very in a very short uh, time period between them and um, we didn't know that he was violent against her um, and she she was too proud to say because it was you know again another failure for her I think and um, then one night um, in November 2019 um, she told him that 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 she wanted to leave him and uh, well he stabbed her with a kitchen knife and um, and then he took his car after having killed her and um, drove to his ex-girlfriend and also killed her. So he killed two girls in that night and made five children orphans. So the four kids, so the children lost their mum and their dad. Yeah. Yeah. And not just that, they have to live with the fact that that's their dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's now in prison, of course, for life. Life? As, yeah. in, as in never will be released? Well, we hope not. There was also a fight in the courts. I just didn't want to mention before because it's something different. But 
first time he got uh, a jail time limited to 16 years, which means he will get out around 10 years after. He'll get out after 10 years, after yeah. stabbing. Yeah, that was after. the first. And then we appealed, and then he got a lifetime, which means he will be there uh, at least for 16 years. Um, and that, you know, for me, life should be life after doing this. But what for us has been important is that uh, he at least will be there until all the children are adults, are 18. So, but... Um, is that something you'd fight for now as a politician? To, absolutely. To, to fight for the fact that anyone who takes... I even, I even presented the bill down in, in Parliament that if you, if you are a double killer, you should never get out of prison. Ever? Yeah. It was, it was not passed. Um, but and did he so stabbed your sister and then he stabbed he broke into his ex-girlfriends and you yeah. stabbed them both yeah yeah, yeah. I killed them both so that was that, that, is, was that was recent yeah it's four years ago okay i'm so sorry yeah thank you so but the good thing is that the the, the, the kids are doing well they are of course scarce luckily only on the soul but uh but they're doing they're doing good school Friends, family. You close with them all? Yeah. yeah as close as you could be with teenagers. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> they think I'm awfully dull. When they get They to think a, you're awfully dull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, boring. Um, really? You're the leader of Danish People's Party. Oh, they you're couldn't care. Boy, I mean, they, they, they couldn't care less. <laughs> they, um, no, no. When they come, they, they visit us in, in weekends and stuff. Uh, and I say, okay, shoot, what, what museum would you like to go to? And what do you know? They just want to sit with their iPads, or maybe they want to go to Tivoli or, or the, the amusement park and stuff. Of course, but you know, but it's fine. I love them all, of course, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm I miss my sister, but I'm I'm glad to have them more in my life. Yeah, to have part of her. Yeah. What do you see as then just where we're at now in Europe? Um, why would you say? With everything that's happened across Europe, with terrorism, with the threats, with violence, with the rapes, which have seen we've seen common across the UK from Muslim gangs, why would you still? Why would you say our borders are still open in such a way? What What's the purpose of that? It's not good for Europe. We know that any any basic person can no. look and think this isn't good. What's the reason that our borders are being kept open? I think there are many, or there are at least some. Yep. Um, Firstly, of course, you have some that are just ignorant and and think that uh, the the uh, a country, a culture of a country, is not impacted, and they don't see the the catastrophic uh, catastrophic uh, consequences that you and I see. Uh, maybe they live in comfortable homes in comfortable areas um, uh, with comfortable lives, and are not faced with this. Well. The realities as we have uh, talked about because they are indeed you know in some parts of the countries uh, where uh, many people maybe uh, have less income low, lower incomes and things like that so they can just turn the blind eye and be morally you know above uh, then we shouldn't ignore that many in the industry uh, just love to have an influx of, of migrants that will put pressure on wages and pressure on the labor market. To bring down the wage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and these are people that also, of course, live comfortable lives and so on. Um, and then um, I think one of the problems we're facing now is that a new generation is growing up having, having never experienced anything else. 
Um, I mean, they don't they don't know how it was to live in a country where they did, don't have these uh, problems of crime or or uh, yeah, open racism against the Europeans or or where the headscarf is not a part of everyday life and what impact does it have on the on the rights of both sexes and things like that. That's of course, and maybe that's even the on the long term the the greatest threat because European culture is now changing. Um, and if people don't understand what they are, what they are in, in uh, uh, what they are losing, um, of course, then how should they how should they react? So I think there are many reasons, and um, and uh, then there are legal issues. Of course, you have a huge pressure on on this system called the international conventions, uh, written back in the <coughs> in the fifties, right after the. Uh, horrendous world war and the consequences of, 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 of that entire period in the 30s, where it made sense, of course, to write uh, into international conventions that everybody has the right to family life and stuff like that, but which is nowadays then being interpreted in any migrant coming here has the right to family life, which means bring the family here. Um, so, so these international conventions from another time are being now abused in order to uh, uh, facilitize the uh, the migration. Yeah, and how long would you say Europe? How long would you say Europe has before it's changed beyond? Well, if you have to be up optimistic, then Europe has been through difficult times, also difficult times of migration. I mean, now I speak on a two thousand year perspective, um, and has still prevailed and uh, has still you know managed to get through so I think we will manage um, but the question is how big will the scars be uh, until countries really face the realities that that if you want the best societies also in the future the best universities the best possibilities wealth and stuff like that equality of the sections all these issues fundamental liberal societies, then the dominant culture of a country must be the Judeo-Christian one that has been the leading one for since the Roman Empire collapsed uh, 1600 years ago. And, um, and um, that, I think, is gradually becoming recognized, even in some of the older parties. Um, but it's going to take many years, tens of years, until the policies will be where they should be. Um, would you? Um, when, when's the next election in Denmark? Well, now, domestic elections will probably not be until three years because the present government is doing so poorly that they will never call for election. So, uh, so that will be, I think, in three years until something happens. But next year we have European elections, and um, which I very much look into. I'm not going to run myself. You're not? No, no. I'm perfectly. Is that happy. because you're happy here now? I'm happy here, and I have a very, very good candidate. And um, and then we'll see what happens. How many are you fielding for the European elections? Fielding? How many people do you have standing? Oh, uh, we have a list of 20 candidates. Okay. So, um, so we'll see. Morton, it's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Um, I'd like to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And thank you for what you're doing as well. It's, uh, it's very, very important for all the matters we've been talking about. Thank you very much. And I wish you, I wish you luck in whatever your next election and your nieces and nephews are sending my love. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone, I'll debate anyone, I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, 
It's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. It gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm de-platformed and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests. I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silence. <laughs>